I'm Sleep Conte, and this podcast is a project I'm doing for an urban planning course. We were told to choose a topic surrounding some of the material we learned in class. The class is called Race in the American City. So we learned about things like redlining, zoning, and a myriad of other systems used in cities to affect residents of color in one way or another. So for this project, we were tasked to tackle a specific question regarding a city and back a specific argument in an essay form. I had written enough essays this semester, so I proposed this podcast format. This is my attempt at that. After pondering for a while as to what my actual topic would be, I eventually decided to focus on my home city of Dallas. More specifically, the way in which gentrification has affected and displaced residents of color. Dallas is a bustling and quickly expanding city. In 2018, Dallas-Fort Worth gained more new residents than any metropolitan area in the nation, according to the Census Bureau. Dallas's population is currently over 7.5 million, which grew by about 132,000 in 2017, a 1.8% increase. This is for a lot of reasons. For one, Dallas is incredibly interesting and cultured. We have the largest urban art district in the country, with 19 blocks worth of museums, venues, and galleries. Our renowned state fair is home to a 52-foot cowboy called Big Tex. And we're the origin of the frozen margarita. But more importantly, people are moving to Dallas for the cost of living and job opportunities. There's no state income tax in Texas. And... Dallas's cost of living is only about 1% above the national average. And when considering Dallas is the ninth biggest city in the U.S., that's pretty good. For comparison, San Diego is the eighth largest city and is 49% above the national average. Austin, the second biggest city in Texas, is 4.9 above the national average cost of living. Dallas is also home to 21 Fortune 500 companies including ExxonMobil, JCPenney, AT&T, and so many more. I was fortunate enough to sit down with a new resident of Dallas and ask him about his experiences. Okay, um, so could you just state your name one more time, please? Uh, my name's Aita Ikwenobe. Okay, awesome. Um, so tell me a little bit about uh, your upbringing, like where you grew up. Did you grow up in Dallas or... No, so I actually grew up in a small town in Missouri called Rolla, Missouri. It's about an hour and a half outside of St. Louis. So that's where I was born and raised for the most part. And then I went to college at the University of Illinois at the Brennan Champaign. And then I graduated last May. And then last July, I moved out to Dallas. So I've been in Dallas for a little over a year now. Okay, sweet. Um, And you're a chemical engineer at... Uh, Frito-Lay, I believe, right? Yeah, I did chemical engineering, and now I work at Frito-Lay. Okay, sweet. Um, So what brought you to Dallas? Um, The job that I have. So I did an internship with them in St. Louis the previous summer before my senior year, and then I got a full-time offer, and this is the location that they placed me at. Okay, awesome. Um, So what area in Dallas do you live in? Is it like Highland Park? Is it... Uh, I live in the uh, uptown area. Okay, uptown. All right. And how is that? Is a uh, is it nice or? 
Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. Um, it's a lot of the young professionals in this, who live in this area. Okay, a lot of young professionals. Yeah. Um, so, have you noticed any patterns um, with race or in this, or the ethnicity of some of your neighbors? Um, I know you mentioned they were young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the pattern is, is, well, it's pretty diverse, but you can tell it's still predominantly uh, white area. That's all I can think of right now about. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, and I take it you live in an apartment complex? Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's the rent like? You don't have to be too uh, specific with that, mm-hmm. but do you believe it's uh, like affordable? How, how is it? Um, as long as you have a full-time job, mm-hmm. and a lot of like the young professionals out here with the jobs that they have and everything out here, it's affordable. I would say, but it is on the higher end when it comes to different apartments in the Dallas area. I will say that much. Okay, I get that. Um, so, uh, do you have any comments on like the culture of Dallas? Um, some of the art you see, maybe uh, murals just along the street. Do you hang out in Dallas much? Um, haven't been out too much as of late, but when I did go out and explore Dallas, um. Do notice it's like very um, kind of like I said diverse per se. Like there's different cultures like in this area that combine, and then like when you see look at the art outside, like in Deep Ellum or in like downtown, it, it's pretty well represented. Okay. Um. So, do you do you are you familiar with the term gentrification at all? Oh uh, yeah, I am. Okay. Um. You've only been there for a year, so this might be a difficult question for you to answer. But do you believe you've had any personal experiences with gentrification, or have you seen any potential signs of uh, maybe other communities being displaced? Um, to- yeah, yeah, I actually do. Um, actually, literally, like a block away from my apartment complex, a little bit down the street, you can tell that areas getting pretty gentrified mm. and just based on the location my apartment is as well you can tell like they're trying to uh, build up the area or gentrify the area the area like down the street is a bit more run down but you can but they already like started like tearing down buildings and everything wow. and building up okay so there's a lot of construction and uh renovation and stuff like that yeah, well, I believe they're building a shopping complex across the street from my apartment complex. So oh, wow, okay. I sure. think they're trying to, yeah, like, uh, gentrify the area around that. Wow, okay. But yeah, that would definitely bring in, like, a lot more young people looking for jobs and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Job opportunities are not scarce in Dallas. But what does the increased number of new inhabitants mean for longtime residents? Well, typically... New residence means new development. New development means to displacement, which ends with the concept of gentrification. But how do we define gentrification? Well, officially, gentrification is defined as a process of neighborhood change that includes economic change in a historically disinvested neighborhood by means of real estate investment and new higher income residents moving in, as well as demographic change, including the education level and racial makeup of residents. But that's very complicated. I find it best to break it down in three major points. One, 
historical background, the conditions and policies enforced upon communities that put them at the mercy of gentrification. Second, investment and disinvestment. The patterns of investment of cities that happen as a result of historical conditions. And third, community aftermath, the ways in which gentrification have impacted communities. But that still may be a little bit confusing. So let's look at some more specific examples. Systems like redlining, white flight, and urban renewal have created racialized patterns of disinvestment in city centers, which have left low-income communities of color susceptible to gentrification. In the 1930s through the 1960s, standards set by the federal government and carried out by banks explicitly labeled areas populated by people of color as risky for investment. This process is known as redlining. The system made it to where residents had no way of applying for loans. Dallas itself is incredibly segregated. When looking at a race map, you can see that whites almost entirely dominate the Highland Park area, one of the wealthiest parts of the city, while blacks primarily reside in South Dallas. The Hispanic population has a large community in the Bishop Art District and Cockrell Hill. These connections between space and race allow for banks and cities to deny people of color for applying for loans to purchase new housing or to renovate the homes they currently own, meaning these civilians are essentially stuck. Stuck with minimal access to transportation, lack of fresh food, and poor infrastructure. And, historically, people of color have been unable to evade conditions of inner city life, while whites have fled to the suburbs. Policies like the 1944 GI Bill the 1944 GI Bill emphasized the preferential treatment of certain citizens. The bill guaranteed low-cost mortgage loans for returning World War II soldiers, but discriminated against black veterans. Furthermore, the Federal Housing Administration largely required suburban developers to agree not to sell homes to blacks. In Dallas, the blacks who were able to get housing in the suburbs were unwelcome. In the 1950s, there were a series of bombings on black homeowners near South Dallas with the intention of frightening them, further preventing other blacks from moving in. Because people of color have been historically unable to renovate their property, their land becomes home to urban development and highway expansion. Like 10th Street, one of Dallas's oldest neighborhoods with a wealth of African-American history and culture as it was the center of one of the freedom towns established by slaves after the Civil War. South of the Trinity River and east of Oak Cliff, African Americans owned land during the Reconstruction era. But in the early 1950s, the Thornton Freeway was constructed directly through the middle of the neighborhood, cutting Oak Cliff in half, demolishing thriving business, and disrupting social networks that make neighborhoods flourish. The city's intentional intercession in the livelihood and living situation of people of color forces them out. When long-term residents are displaced, they miss out on benefits that come along with new investment. Instead of gaining access to fresh, healthy food, improved transportation, better infrastructure, residents are faced with rent increases and evictions. In Texas, there's currently no law restricting the brevity in which landlords kick out their tenants. In East Dallas, residents were forced to move out of their apartments to make space for high-end development. The apartment complex being renovated was built in 1955 and primarily housed low-income African Americans throughout its tenure. With rent at $800 a month, 
and being only 10 minutes from downtown, David Edges believed the building's potential was being wasted. He notified his residents on December 10th that they were to find new housing and move out. And by February 10th, they were expected to be out or be immediately evicted. 60 days to uproot their entire life. 60 days to move school districts further from occupations, away from family and friends. 60 days to find housing in a city that did not want them. I just was quoted saying, I'm looking into options. I don't want to make any promises I can't keep. I will do my best to accommodate for them so no one is on the streets. No accommodations were made. The tenants protested outside their old apartment complex, demanding the law change, forcing landlords to give residents an earlier notification for eviction. The law has not changed. But residents aren't the only individuals being affected by displacement and gentrification. When old residents are displaced, family-run businesses and nonprofits are often pushed out as their customer base disappears. Places of worship also see their regular congregates ousted. Businesses can also be pushed out as a result of increased rent. In the 1910s, housing for blacks was primarily confined to two neighborhoods, North Dallas Park and Deep Ellum. For years, Deep Ellum had the reputation of being gritty and unsafe. I remember being in middle school. I wanted to attend a local music show with some friends, but our parents refused to let us go. They believed Deep Ellum was too dangerous. The graffiti and street art that tagged the walls of buildings definitely belonged to gang members, and the residents roaming the streets were certainly degenerates. Deep Elm was no place for children. But recently, Deep Elm has become a popular place for tourists and young people. The graffiti is now regarded as beautiful murals, and the sketchy degenerates have been replaced by young hipsters, and small businesses have been pushed out to make room for more sustainable businesses. Felicia Duncan, owner of a vintage boutique called Elements, opened her store in Deep Ellum about five years ago, when the area was still largely regarded as a ghost town. But as the area became more popular, pressure from her property owner increased. So too did her rent, as she watched neighboring business owners close shop and set up four lease signs. Jonathan Hetzel, element property owner, tripled her rent, forcing Duncan to close her doors. Hetzel claimed that her business was no longer sustainable. Deep Ellum had become a place for more feasible retail tenants. When I walk through Deep Ellum today, I see four lease signs and construction. The old town has almost entirely been superseded and gentrified. I found it interesting that the art once regarded as thuggish and ghetto could so quickly turn into being modern and aesthetic. It made me wonder about the impact of art. Could art be used to prevent, pe prevent and inform people about gentrification? I sat down with Esmeralda Mendes, a student at UT Dallas who participates in anti-gentrification art. Okay, Esmeralda, tell me about your upbringing. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up outside the city in a suburb of Dallas, and um, my parents, as I was a child, they really emphasized like the ideas of like being adventurous and being a free thinker, so we'd often take trips into the city, 
And so I always loved like watching the people and going around the different areas and looking at the different structures of buildings. And we often went to museums, we looked at art, we looked at like different cultures within Dallas. And so as a kid, you like you notice that like some areas are nicer than others, but you don't really think about it. You don't really think about why that is. But like when you grow up, you do, right? And so like that me as a kid going around in Dallas really like shaped my love of art and my love of people and I think that's like where I got my start in like urban art and thinking about murals and how the prevalence in Dallas has like really affected art and how art has affected the people of Dallas. Okay so what got you interested in entry gentrification? Okay so in my senior year of high school I was taking this sculpture and design class, and every Wednesday or every other week, my teacher, he would make us read about a local artist in their installation or exhibit. And so that's how I discovered Giovanni Valderas. He's a popular artist who decided to take a stand against gentrification. As developers, um, they moved into like the nor- North Oak Cliff-, Cliff area and like around Bishop Arts District. And, um, he, like, looked at those people and the displaced people after, um, those developers moved into those areas that those people had been living in for generations. And so he started the Casita Triste project, which means sad little houses, and he basically created colorful pinatas designed to resemble, um, the Oak Cliff cottages that Latino people have been lived in for generations. And he also paired those pinatas with like little phrases that would make people think about what uh, developers in Dallas have been doing to these people have been displaced. So they, uh, like for example, a sentence would be like, who rules to like show that like, do, do the people in Dallas who live there, did they have any say over like affordable housing? Or is it just, are we just going to let politicians have all the say? So he really wanted to like open that space up to the community and allow other people to share their voices. So that's basically what his art installation was about. And that really inspired me to like do further research about this um, particular problem that's really prevalent in Dallas and all over the country. Tell me a little bit more about the Bishop Art District. Do you spend a lot of time there? Uh, wasn't that, that was the base for Giovanni's, um, his project, right? Yeah, so tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so Bishop, Bishop Arts District is basically, like it's an increasingly growing retail district. And it used to be considered like a local gem, like only locals really knew about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the recent years, it's actually been growing into, like, a ton of popularity. Like, tourists have started to find out about it. And with the tourists, obviously, there comes new development. Right. So, uh, developers have started, like, building hotels and restaurants. Mm-hmm. Which, it's it's a good thing in certain aspects. Because, like, obviously, these tourists are bringing in revenue. new customers. Yeah. Right, revenue. But at the same time, like, all these people who have had little shops there, because that's what really makes Bishop Arts District valuable. Right, course, is, yeah. Yes, exactly. And But the, the rent prices are just going up. Mm-hmm. So, like, these people, like, they may end up being pushed out. Right. Like, for example, um, this lady I've talked to, her name is uh, Katie Salinas. She owns a little, um, like, a little soap shop. It's called uh, White Rock Soap Gallery. 
And so she's lived in Dallas since the 1970s, right? Wow. So she's gotten to see, like, how these neighborhoods have grown, like, grown up from being, like, kind of, like, dangerous, not well-off areas mm. to, like, being really nice. But with, like, and she's very proud of that. Like, she's very proud of the area she lives in. And she's, like, really grateful to be where she is. But at the same time, it's, like, will she be able to stay because of all this new development? And, like, with that is high lease costs. It's, like, it's, yeah, it's sad. And if this trend remains, like, who knows what could happen to these people who've, like, been so proud and so happy of the area that they get to be in. Mm-hmm. And then it's just. So this is what Valderas has been fighting against with his, his project called, what is it again? Uh, Casita Triste. Okay, so this is what he's been trying to fight against. Yes. You, has it been effective at all? Do you know? Um, I don't think it's... I mean, it's obviously sparked a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. Like, people are talking about it more, which is always a good thing. But at the same... Like, he can only do so much without, right. like, any real political action against it. Which is really hard because, like, Dallas, obviously, like, we don't have a lot of... Um, affordable housing, and they haven't really made that a priority as, up until now. Mm. Esmeralda was entirely right. Without any real political power, gaining attention and publicity doesn't do much to halt the rate of gentrification. Giovanni Valderas was frustrated by the lack of progress, so he ran for mayor of Dallas in 2019. He lost. In the end, The only real way to bring a halt to gentrification is to confront the public officials we have, demanding they save the public domain, regulate bank-owned property, and maintain affordable housing. But until then, cities like Dallas will continue to displace the residents that make the city what it once was.